You're listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. This series explores how Jesus' vision for our lives creates a people and a place we want to be a part of. And now, here's today's message. The scripture reading is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 8. Please turn to Isaiah 6 in your Bible if you're carrying one, or follow along on the sermon notes, handouts, or the words on the screen. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. God, we know that the one in whose presence Isaiah felt completely undone, our God, holy, 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 is here in our presence, not to undo us, but to remake us into the image of Christ. May you have your way with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my deeply held convictions is that the people who experience God the most are those who join him in what he is doing. Biblically, this is clearly the case, but also anecdotally as well. There are folks, the folks in my life that I could look back on and I could point to and say, that guy knows God or that lady walks with Christ are the ones who have also synced up their life with what God is doing in the world around them. Now, most of us reverse that formula, meaning we want God to sync up his life with us. We want God to sync up his calendar with what we're up to. We got busy lives, obviously. We got responsibilities and jobs and families and schedules and agendas into which we want God to join in to help us out. Maybe he'll give us an edge on what we're doing. Perhaps grace you so that you could try to be honorable in all that you do. And so perhaps you say a morning prayer that goes something like this. Jesus, come be with me today. Hoping that he'll give you a a, a boost of perseverance when things are tough. Or he'll impart some supernatural wisdom when you've got a difficult decision to make. Or maybe he'll give you extra good fortune when you're out bargain hunting at the mall. 
God, please be in my activities and my plans today. Amen. And because he's a good, loving, caring God, he sometimes photobombs our day and graces us with tailored blessings that are specific to your agenda because your day, your life, your day-to-day experiences matter to him. But maturing disciples, those who experience God most, they know the invitation to, to join in does not flow up from us, but down from him. He invites us to join him in what he is doing. And what he is doing is breaking into sinful people's lives with love and grace to redeem them and heal them and enlarge his spiritual family. That is the one thing that is on God's Google calendar today, on his calendar tomorrow, on his calendar all next week. That's what he's doing That's what he's up to. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. And that simple mission so perfectly defined Jesus's everyday choices that Jesus became known as the friend of sinners and tax collectors. Not the friend of spiritual superstars and the devout, but despised tax collectors and sinners. You see... Where hurt and shame and sin was most concentrated, Jesus was most present. And interestingly, it was the most unrighteous of people who actually felt the most safe and at home with Jesus. Why is that? Because the grace of God, the heart of Jesus and the activity of the spirit are drawn towards sin and brokenness. Paul says it like this in Romans 5.20. He said, where sin increased, grace abounded evermore. Now what Paul is speaking of, he's speaking about how you can't sin yourself into a corner because of the quantity of your sin or the depth of your sin, Jesus isn't going to look at you and say, man, I, I don't have enough grace in the tank to cover that. Sorry, man. That's what, Paul, that's what Paul is getting at, that there is a grace greater than your greater sin. That's what he's saying. But we could also say, and this isn't Paul, this is me, but we could also say that where sin increases, the sin-rescuing attention of Jesus abounds all the more. And here we find one of the mysteries of the heart of God, that his holy heart is magnetically drawn towards sin and sinners. Now hear me, he hates sin, but he loves us. And so on the cross, God chose to experience the horrors and the weight of sin and all the devastating consequences it brings. On the cross, Jesus embraces all that his holiness finds revolting. To pay for sin. To drown it in the blood of his grace. Not in spite of his holiness, but because of it. 
Do you know that? Not in spite of his holiness, but because he is holy, holy, holy. Because his perfect holiness includes holy longing and holy affection and holy compassion toward us sinners. And the passage that speaks the most clearly about God's holiness is Isaiah 6 that was read for us earlier, which tells of this terrifying vision that Isaiah has with God. He sees God unfiltered in his temple. And we read that the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. And Isaiah is instantly aware of how repugnant and unholy he is. And so he cries out, woe is me, I'm unruined. And instead of being incinerated, instead of being obliterated, God touches Isaiah's unclean mouth with a live coal and says, your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for. Words that thread forward hundreds of years anticipating what Jesus Christ will do. God extends forgiveness and mercy to Isaiah. Now, why does God respond to Isaiah this way? Because he is holy, holy, holy. First thing I pray that you see this morning is what Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, that God's holiness flows naturally and immediately into forgiveness and mercy. It was true for Isaiah. It's true for us. So rather than recoiling from sin, his holiness propels him to meet propels him forward to meet sin with the grace and mercy unleashed in Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. And this fundamentally important truth corrects a lot of our misguided thinking that shapes our life and our thinking of the church. Like individually, we are prone to think that God is most drawn to us in our righteousness. That God is most drawn to you when you've got it all together. When your spiritual life is at its high watermark and those hangups and those habits from, from your past, those are long in the rearview mirror. Then God moves in even closer to you. Or we think that corporately, that, that God is... is more drawn to quiet church sanctuaries than he is some back alley off the Vegas Strip where, where a junkie is desperately trying to inject some escape into his bruised arm. We think God isn't drawn to that, but he's drawn to this more. And we would be wrong. We would be mistaken. Central, hear me. The good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is most present and attentive when we are most sin sick and feel least worthy. And so this morning, if you come in here feeling low and beaten down and you feel like there's a tornado of guilt and regret that's churning inside of you, Jesus is not backing away from you like this. Just the opposite. For Jesus says, it's not the healthy 
that need a doctor, but the sick. So I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is what motivates God. This is what motivated Jesus when he walked the earth. And this is what motivates the activity of his spirit today. So central, do you want to know what God is doing in the world right now? This minute, he is moving towards sin and sinners. With the grace and mercy of God the Father, with the salvation and righteousness of Jesus the Son, and with the power and life of the Spirit lavished on all those who need it and will receive it. That's what God is doing right now. And if you want to know and experience your holy God, I mean really know him in a way that charges your life and defines your days. If you want to know your holy God, then you need to join him in his holy mission. Because that's where he's at. In the Isaiah passage, what does God do after he atones for Isaiah's sin? He gives him an invitation that's wrapped in a question. He says, who should I send and who will go for us? Who is the us, by the way? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Isaiah, having experienced God's grace, says, here I am. Send me. And Isaiah is invited to join God in his mission, and you are too. Now, today we call that evangelism, which immediately fills most of us with dread or guilt, right? Because we've got memories of, of trying that or being guilted into doing that and it going really terrible. We don't like talking about evangelism, most of us, because it's scary. It's scary being a witness to Jesus today in our crazy cultural age that we're in. At least it is for me. Um, therefore, I spent a lot of my life not doing very much of it. I knew I was supposed to. Like I knew I was supposed to join Jesus in his mission, but I didn't know exactly who specifically I was supposed to be on mission to or how specifically I was supposed to be on mission towards them. So for years, I mostly stayed on the sidelines in the safe little church zone bubble, hanging out with only Christians to my shame and regret, cutting myself off from the means by which I could have experienced the most of God. I could have tapped into the reason why I'm here and what God is doing and experienced the fullness of joy that comes with when we sync up with God's holy mission. Then, a few years ago, I discovered something Jesus teaches in Luke 10 that made Jesus's mission doable for me. It made it simple enough that even a ham-fisted, clumsy evangelist like me could join in. And so I want to share that with you for the rest of the time I have. So if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 10. We'll begin reading in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and Jesus sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. 
He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Um, I learned from my grandfather that a, a farmer doesn't really grow anything. I mean, not really. All he does is he, he harvests what grows. So a drought year with no rain and no crops doesn't mean he's a terrible farmer any more than, you know, a, a, a year of perfect weather and a bumper crop means he's a great one. God does the real work. Farmers just harvest it. Similarly, similarly, you and I don't save people. You and I don't redeem them. We don't change them, but God does. And Jesus, in this passage, wants us to know that God is at work right now in people's lives. There are people that God is actively pursuing He's using perhaps your friendship with them. He's using their struggles, perhaps a health crisis they're going through. He's drawing close to them through their deepest pain or their greatest longing, through their biggest desires or their largest regrets. All of those things are on-ramps into people's lives. And the on-ramps that God has into people's lives are limitless. And so the first thing I want us to see in Luke 10 is that the issue is not the size of the crop to be harvested. Jesus says there is a crop to be harvested. The issue is the number of people who are willing to bring it in. That's the issue. How come more people don't respond to Jesus in this time and place? Oh, hard hearts, crazy culture, different age. No. People have not changed. Human hearts have not changed. The work of the spirit and the gospel has not changed. What's changed are the number of workers willing to go into the harvest. That's what's changed. Now, forgive me for using this cringy metaphor because um, we're going to be talking about people. We're not talking about crops or converts, or projects. We, when we talk about God's mission to save people, we're talking about like, like real individuals with real lives and stories, people who are beautifully designed by God and fiercely loved by him. But Jesus uses the metaphor of farmer and crops, so I'm going to use it too, okay? So give me a little bit of grace. When a worker goes into the field, um, he needs to know... Which fruit is ready to be harvested? That's what he needs to know. Right? Red apples get picked. Green apples stay on the tree a bit longer. Right? That's, that's what you need to know. In fact, knowing that and have a penchant for overalls is all you need to be a farmer. You just need to know, you just need to know when the crop is ready to bring in and you need to wear, wear yeah, your overalls. That's it. That's all. You, maybe there's a little bit more, but... Harvesting is easier if you know the simple sign of what is in season, what crop is ready, so to speak. Similarly, 
Similarly, it is easier for us to join God in his simple mission if there were some clues to help us know who are the the specific people that God is uniquely working on in this season, who are the red apple, so to speak. Forgive the metaphor, it's cringy, I know, but it just, it works, just stick with me. Well, there are clues and there are signs and Jesus lays them out here in the rest of Luke 10. And he's gonna tell us that the people God is working on are called people of peace by Jesus. Let's pick up in verse three. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Just forget about that part. Don't worry about that part. Um, Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Um, notice that Jesus does something really interesting here. He, notice he says, hey, I don't want you to spark up conversation with every person that you engage with. Meaning that in your efforts to be on mission with God, God has not called you to feel responsible for every person that you know or encounter. God is not calling you to feel responsible for the salvation and the spirituality of every person in your office or the parents of every kid in your daughter's class. We are to love all people, yes, but we're not meant to look at everyone as a red apple. (laughs) Worst metaphor ever, but stick with me. Because not everybody is at the same place or has the same degree of behind the scenes work from God in their life going on. For God is at work to different degrees in different people in different seasons. And so the reality, this is why the reality of God's work and what happens in a church in people's lives why so much of it doesn't go as expected or predicted in church life. Like, let me, let me share with you what I mean. Like, it has never failed to amaze me that there are people who were well acquainted and are well acquainted with my last church who never came to know Jesus. Like, they would come to churches, they come to church all the time with their families, but they never, ever put their faith in Christ. And I can think of a number of faces from my last church. And some of them, I tailored entire Easter messages just for them. My whole sermon was just for them. And I preach as good as I get and nothing. Like, it's like crickets afterwards. I'm like, hey, how was the, what'd you think of the sermon? Hey, anything going on in your hearts? And just like nothing. I'm like, what the heck? And then I think of this guy this big, burly, heavy-duty mechanic guy who comes to our church maybe three or four times, and I'm preaching an end uh, introduction to the book of Habakkuk. And he's sitting at the back, and he's all tatted, and he looks all menacing. And at the end of the service, he comes up to me crying like a Toronto Maple Leafs fan after the first round of the playoffs. I mean, ugly crying. And he's saying, I need what you were talking about. And I was like, what was I talking about? I was talking about Habakkuk, right? And King Josiah and the Babylonians and apostasy. And he's like, I know, I just, I need Jesus in my life. And I was like, what the, okay. And he accepts Christ right then. Now, why does stuff like that happen? 
is because there are people who are ready for the gospel because the spirit has been doing the work in their lives that brings them to that place. And that's why Jesus said there's a harvest ready. It's because God is at work moving and growing and preparing hearts. And I think Jesus is called to limit the focus and not greet everyone on the, on, the, on the road is a reflection of the timing of the spirit. And so Jesus is steering his disciples to become more aware of those in whom the spirit is at work. And how do we do that? Let's keep reading. Verse five. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If there is a son of peace or a person of peace there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to them, return to you. And so Jesus says we're supposed to look for a person of peace. And a person of peace is someone God is prepping and pursuing to meet Jesus. And just like there are signs to the farmer when of what to harvest, there are signs that distinguish a person of peace. And the first sign is that they like you and they welcome you. You offer them your peace, which I'm told is like a Jewish way of offering your friendship. So you offer your friendship and you see if it rests on them. And if they take you up on it, great. And if not, they're not a person of peace, at least right now. And so if it rests on them, you, you say to them, hey, you want to grab a coffee sometime? Do you, I'm going to go walk the dog. Do you want to bring your dog along? We're doing a barbecue at our backyard next Friday. Do you want to come over and join us? And if, they, if they're in and they say yes, and furthermore, if they know that you're a Christian and they're not weirded out by that and they still say yes, that's probably a sign that they might be a person of peace. That's the sure first sign. Now, at some point, according to Jesus, they return your friendship. Like they welcome you in now to their space. In verse seven, Jesus says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer. Don't be moving from house to house. And so I think in this progression, it's, it's moved where you're not just asking to hang out with them. They're asking to hang out with you. They're starting to offer you hospitality. They invite you out for lunch. They, they invite you into their space, into their home, onto their turf. In fact, a super sure sign that somebody's a person of peace is that they find out that you're doing something, that you're doing some project. You're putting up a new fence in your backyard. And they said, hey, I got time on Saturday. I'll come over and I'll help you. If somebody wants to come along and serve you, to bless you, sure sign that they are a person of peace. Now remember, a person of peace is someone God is prepping and pursuing to meet Jesus. So what do you do when you find a person of peace? You give them both barrels of Jesus, boom, right there, right? No, that's not what you do. That's not what Jesus says. Look what he says. You stay with them. You relationally commit to them. This is a big deal, church. This means that you invest your relational time with them. They become a meaningful priority in your limited relational time. So there's an intentionality towards them from you to connect with them. And Jesus says you eat with them. 
the natural rhythms of life, you start to share those with them. Of course, eating together is one of the most powerful, bonding, meaningful activities that we do with each other. But when you start intersecting and overlapping the rhythms of life with other people, that is when the relationship goes to a new level. And then after that, after you're eating with them, you're doing some of the rhythms of life with them. Then Jesus says in verse nine, then you heal their sick. You serve them. If they have an area of need or hurt, you work to alleviate it. You work to bless them. You use your gifts to help them. You tell them that they're praying for them and then you actually do it. And then after all of that, after intentionally offering your friendship and having it returned to you, after spending time with them, after bringing them into the rhythm of life and sharing the rhythm of life with them, eating with them, they're in your home, you're in their home, you serve them and bless them and use your gifts, then what does Jesus say? Then you tell them the good news, that the kingdom of God has come near. Diane is a Jesus follower I know from Fernie. Um, She had never really been on mission at any time in her life. She felt super intimidated by evangelism. What would I say? When would I say it? And so she never even imagined that she could have a meaningful part to play in that whole area of God's mission that wasn't weird or awkward. But she was growing in her faith And she wanted to orient more of her life around Jesus and his priorities. And so she taught a spin class. And there was a client in her spin class who we'll call Alice. And they seemed to click. Diane recognized that Alice might be a person of peace. And because she wanted to live her life intentionally on Jesus' mission, she said, okay, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to proceed as Jesus says here and see if God is in this. And so she did some gentle forays in trying to connect with Alice, offered friendship. Alice eagerly received it, welcomed Diane into her home and her space. They started overlapping the rhythms of life together. They hiked together. They recreated together. They had long walks and long talks. And Diane began to recognize in Alice some signs of addiction. And Diane shared with Alice her own journey to sobriety from alcoholism. And Alice, finding a safe place, opened up about her her own struggles and addiction. She was a high-functioning housewife alcoholic. And Diane began to meet her in her recovery, to serve her, to help her at the place of pain that she had in her life. And this not only helped Alice move into sobriety, but it opened her up to hear from Alice about how Jesus healed and transformed Diane, not just of her alcoholism, but her whole life as well. And she got to lead Alice to Christ. And she was just the first the first of many. Diane, who thought, there's no way I could be part of Jesus' ministry. I don't have the right personality. I don't have the right smarts. I don't have the right skill set. I don't have the right knowledge. I don't have the right courage. Found herself at the epicenter of what God is doing in the world. 
Why? Because she committed to being on mission. She accepted his invitation to be one of the workers that is sent into the harvest. And she did what Jesus said to do in Luke 10. And God opened her eyes to the harvest around her, what God was doing in the lives of other people. And so she began looking for and praying for a person of peace. When she thought she found it, she offered her friendship. She relationally committed to her and invested in her, shared the rhythms of life with her, served her and blessed her in her area of need, and then proclaimed the good news of Jesus and the Spirit of God did the rest. Corey and Ben, you can come on up. You asked Diane, and being on mission doesn't feel scary anymore. It feels like hanging out and enjoying and blessing people like Alice. You see, when you start to see that you are not responsible to reach every person that you come in contact with, but that God does want you to connect with a person of peace, it deflates the fear factor. It simplifies and focuses the mission and your resources of time. And it gives you an expectation that there's going to be effectiveness because there's something bigger than your little gifts at play. The Lord of the harvest is at work. And I want every one of you to know the joy and the vitality that comes from joining God in his mission. And hear me, it's not easy. It means you're going to have to say no to some stuff on your schedule so you've got margin and time to invest in others. It's scary. It feels like risk. The sheep among wolves metaphor was not an accident by Jesus. But when we say yes, we move into the realm where God Almighty is most present and most at work. God is not on sabbatical. He wasn't just saying, I was the Lord of the harvest 2,000 years ago, but now I'm hanging out on the backside of Saturn with my feet up. No. The same mission that propelled Jesus is propelling his spirit through his church. God is not oblivious or indifferent to the needs and hurts around us. Our God, who is holy, 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 is at work in a thousand different ways in the lives of the people we know. Because wherever there is sin and hurt people or people who feel lost in life, the spirit is there working. And so the invitation is extended right here. The same invitation that was extended to Isaiah is extended right here on October 2023. Who will go? Who will go for us? Will we say yes? Lots of churches don't. Will you say yes? Lots of Christians won't. Will you get out of the bleachers into the game? Choose you this day. And so Central, I'm telling you straight up, if, if you have a vision of Christianity that's just you and your holy little bubble, where you don't see your life as part of being on mission, then you're going to get really sick of me over the next year. Because I am not going to give you any quarter. Because any version of the gospel that doesn't have us on mission is an abomination 
of the mission and heart of God. And so we need to take this seriously. We need to join in with what Jesus is already doing. Again, the question is not how barren the fields are. The fields are ripe for harvest. The question is, are we going to be workers that join the spirit of God in what he is doing? And so we're going to sing. And and here's what I invite you to do. We're going to have our prayer partners come up. If there's a person of peace who you think they, they might be that to you, would you come up and pray for them with another believer? If you have no idea if there's a person of peace in your sphere, would you come and pray that God would open your eyes that make you aware of, of, of where the spirit is working and how he wants to bring you in that? If you want the courage to say yes to the mission, I mean to really finally say a meaningful yes and then intentionally start shaping your life in that direction, if you want courage to say that and the faith to persist in that, would you come up and we'll pray for you while we're singing? Because one of the best things that we could do is in this area that freaks us all out, right? It freaks me out too. Is that if we make the, like Isaiah did, if we say, yes, God, send me, then I believe the spirit will match our obedience with opportunity. And what's going to happen is that not only are more people going to know about Jesus and eternities are going to get changed. And this place is going to be overflowing with people who are brand new and can't believe that this was their church the whole time. They drove by it so many times and they had no idea that they were going to meet Jesus through this place. And you and us are going to experience more of the life and joy of Jesus than we ever thought possible because that is where God is. He is on mission. And when we join with him, we open ourselves up to the fullness of God, filling us, invigorating us, renewing the joy of our own salvation. Amen. And let's sing. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening. And we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.